Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey, if you want to know who are the best high school basketball coaches and leaders in our country are, you need to stay tuned and listen to the Championship Vision Podcast. We have some of the most renowned and best high school basketball coaches and PE teachers from around the country. Coaches you might not have heard of, but have amazing ideas. And I firmly believe every coach in America has genius within them. It's not all about the state championships. It's about the impact you have on your kids and your community. So stay tuned to the Championship Vision Podcast. All right, here we go. Coaches, uh, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. We're so excited to have Coach Will Ray. He's the uh, head, head boys basketball coach at Northridge Prep in Niles, Illinois. I always enjoy getting those legendary coaches uh, from the Midwest, man. You guys are always brilliant coaches, man. You always, you guys are always very detailed. So uh, we had a re, uh, we had Coach Ray on before, and uh, he was one of the. Uh, I still get a lot of downloads of your podcast, Will. So I appreciate you joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure, Kevin. Thank you so much for the uh, privilege and honor, really, to uh, to be with you and share only really passing along to others what people have passed on to me. So uh, that's what makes this a great profession. And anytime I have an opportunity to uh, hopefully help somebody else the way that I've been helped, uh, I like to take advantage of it. And I appreciate everything you're doing, you're doing for the game. Yeah, and, and my podcast is all about, and my uh, new video series is all about what you have access to. Uh, it's all about helping out coaches. Uh, I really feel like, we, um, I'm obligated as an experienced coach to kind of share the game through great coaches like yourself. Uh, our topic today is essential core practice drills. And I know I, I love practice. Matter of fact, I'm trying to figure out how, what I'm going to do tomorrow after my, after my victory. But we're, it's always about a process trying to get better. Right, Coach? That's it. I mean, bottom line is, uh, is, is all about, you know, how can you get a little bit better today? or I'm sorry, tomorrow than you were today. And that's the, the whole process of the process of coaching. You know, it's improvement and it's gradual and small steps, incremental improvement, or what we like to call the inclined plane. In our program, we want to get on an inclined plane and continue to take small steps forward and upward. So that's the process. Go share a little bit about yourself on, uh, you've been coaching a long time. You built Northridge Prep up to be, just an unbelievable program and talk about your background, kind of share with us kind of uh, on where you are now at Northridge Prep and how you've kind of built your program. Sure. I mean, uh, this will be my 45th year, I believe, uh, of coaching, uh, Kevin. And uh, it, it seems like we're just getting started here, right? You know, and, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing how uh, the years go by so quickly. And, uh, and how, as the years have gone by, I feel like I have that much more to learn, right? Uh, but I started out as a high school, actually started out as a, as a junior high coach and for uh, a number of years. And, and then, uh, you know, when I moved on to high school and was a high school coach here in the Chicago area for eight years. And then in 1985, I had an opportunity 
to join the uh, staff at the University of Evansville with Jim Cruz. Mm -hmm. And Jim had played uh, at Indiana under coach Bob Knight on the 1976 undefeated national championship team. And then he coached with Bob Knight for eight years. And when he took the position at, at Evansville, I, I had the great privilege, really, and honor to, to, to be his assistant for four years. And it was really uh, an absolutely uh, a huge turning point for me professionally uh, you know, to be able to learn from what I felt at the time. And now he's retired now, but I felt at the time and throughout his career was one of the truly outstanding teachers of the game at the, at the, co at the college level or at any level. I mean, he coached in college his whole career, but uh, that was a great opportunity. Then I had a chance to be the head coach at Loyola University in Chicago. And um, after that, I, I went up to Minnesota for three years and to Ohio for seven. And after 19 years of college basketball, I, I decided to, uh, talking it over with my wife and just looking at some priorities and, and so forth that I might even cover here in a minute, um, decided to come back to high school. And now I'm, I'm starting my 17th year at Northridge Prep uh, in, in suburban Chicago. So it's been a, a great journey. Um, no regrets whatsoever. I mean, you know, every now and then you like, there's a, mull, a, a mulligan here or there you'd like to have over, right? I'm not a golfer, but I know the golf, golfing buddies always talking about mulligans, you know, maybe there's a few things you might do differently if you had another opportunity. And that's the value of experience, right? And that's how we learn and how we improve. And, and, uh, but I have no regrets. I've had a, a great run. I've met some incredible people, um, both in, in the coaching fraternity and, and, and student athletes at the college and high school level and some great educators. So it's, it's been a great, uh, a great ride. And I, I, I'm enjoying it as much now, maybe even more than I ever did largely because I'm, I'm at the right place, a place that I, that I really uh, feel very connected to at Northridge. So it's been a, it's been a great, great run. Yeah. Coach, thanks for sharing that. I really appreciate that. I'm, I'm, and I know a lot about you and I, uh, but I want our listeners they got to get a good feel on what it takes to build a great practice. Your best coaches are the best practice coaches. And, and, and you've, you've been studying with a great coach out here, a good friend of mine, Gene Durden, uh, on how to maximize, how to take 30 kids or whatever, and how to maximize practices, still learning, and even though you've coached for so many years. So, Coach, take it away. How can we run a better practice? Sure. Well, you know, uh, let me uh, let me start here uh, with with this PowerPoint, Kevin. Let me uh, try to get it running here. Uh, there we go. And then just let me put the, our, my contact information on on the screen first, and I'll do it again at the end, in case anybody wants to reach out to me. Uh, my email address, also, I have a Twitter handle, where if people want to follow our program or follow, uh, you know, some of the things that I post, they can do that. I, I coach for character, so. Uh, Anyway, and I'll be happy to answer any questions or, um, you know, respond to any any uh, thoughts that other people have. Um, you know, just a little bit about our situation, uh, just because people don't know really Northridge Prep uh, outside the immediate area here. We're a private college prep school in, in uh, suburban Chicago, 175 boys, grades nine through 12. We have uh, actually grades six through 12 in our in our building, and about 300 students. Our average ACT is 28. Our students take six to eight AP level courses. So there's a, quite an academic challenge. And approximately 50% of our schedule 
Kevin is against schools that are larger than us, either in the suburbs or in the city. And, and I coach many two to three sport athletes. So, uh, you know, that's something that's an important consideration when, when you really decide what kind of an approach you want to take in the program. I think it's incumbent upon a coach to, to really study his situation. And you know, there are things that I, I'm doing here that I may not, may, may not have done before at different stops along the way. And, and, uh, and it, again, it's everything is tailored to the situation that I'm in. And we have a lot of uh, two and three sport athletes. So in sharing athletes is important. Never had a Division One scholarship player. Had a few that have gone on and walked on at Division One. Just to give you an idea of the type of student athlete I'm dealing with, uh, I've had like quite a few guys go on and play Division Three. Uh, but um, that's the kind of breakdown that we have over the 16 years that I've been here. We've won 67% of our games, uh, about 78% are in the conference, and 15 different championships. So, uh, just tell you a little bit about, you know, about the situation I'm in and as that informs many of the decisions that I make in terms of uh, what we do. Um, you know, I had an opportunity to, during this virtual world that we've been in since March, uh, as a result of the pandemic, had uh, you know, the, the pleasure and, and privilege really to do uh, uh, quite a few of these uh, presentations. And one of them, someone asked me if I could maybe start out by talking a little bit about what would I recommend to a young coach, somebody just starting out after 44 years. And, I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. I, I came up with five things that I would recommend uh, to, a, to another coach or even recommend to myself if I were starting all over again. And it's 44 years really of making mistakes in this profession. Um, but you know, the, the, the first one is to make the big time where you are. And uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's such an interesting profession coaching that you know, we find ourselves sometimes getting caught in, in, in that coaching carousel where we're trying to uh, climb a professional ladder and and, 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 uh, and, you know, I, I think the, the most important thing, a book that I read a few years back by Frosty Westering of um, the football coach of Pacific Lutheran, he's now deceased. But it was just a great book. And I read this maybe 25 years ago, so it wasn't that, that, that recent. But it really made an impact on me that, you know, the most important thing you can do is, is, is make, you know, the big time is not a place that we're all striving to get to, but it's actually a state of your heart. And it's not something you get, but something you become, right? So, you know, making a big time where you are, whether you're coaching um, at the college level, as I had the privilege to do, or you're coaching a junior varsity team or the fifth grade team or boys, girls, or whatever it might be, you know, uh, a club team, you know, wherever you're coaching, that's the big time for you. And again, that's the state of heart and, and not something that, that you get by advancing in coaching, but something you become by by giving your best. And we like to use this moniker of be more. In other words, be more of who you were created to be and what you can become. So that'd be the first thing that I would suggest to any coach starting out. The second thing is to have a purpose that transcends winning on a scoreboard. And this is really critical, Kevin. This is why I'm able to, you know, whether it's coaching at the college level, at the high school level, this, if I were to start coaching a you know, a, a JV team uh, tomorrow or whatever, you know, it, it's about the purpose, right? And, and, and the mission statement that I've uh, crafted for, for my personal uh, mission statement or the one that I, I try to follow is I'm trying to help our players become men of character and integrity who can be counted on to take care of others, right? And then that's my overriding purpose. And, you know, winning on the scoreboard is important to us, of course. We don't make any apologies for 
practicing hard and working hard and preparing hard and teaching our players to compete hard. But all of that is really a byproduct of an of a overriding purpose that is rooted in, in, in the development of character and, and helping build men of, men of integrity. They're going to be someday great husbands, great, uh, great fathers, great professionals, and, and great friends to others, uh, and, and men that will hopefully uh, become great leaders and influence those around them. So the third thing I would say is uh, have a, a clear yearly objective. And, and, and ours every year is the same. It's to create an atmosphere where success is possible. And to me, you know, we, we sit down every year before we start practice. And the night before we have a long meeting, takes uh, about 90 minutes or two hours. And we don't talk at all about basketball, but we talk a lot about what our, our objective is for the season. And it's to create this atmosphere where we can be successful, right? Some people talk about culture. Some people talk about uh, having a program attitude. Other people talk about an environment. You know, I like to talk about an atmosphere, an atmosphere that, that, that every year we're responsible for developing. And I don't care if I have no players back from the previous year or the entire team back, I always consider it to be a rebuilding year. It's a rebuilding year for everyone because we have to make sure that we establish this atmosphere where we can be successful and we're all responsible for. I, as a coach, I'm responsible for teaching our older players and our older players are responsible for teaching our younger players as well. And, you know, when, when our graduates come back and watch a game, as many of them do, I tell our current players, I want those former players to look out on the floor and be able to identify that that's the program that they had a hand in helping develop, right? Mm -hmm. So that's our yearly objective. And every coach has a different one, but that's ours. And, um, and then fourth, I would say, teach through winning. And this is kind of a unique concept. And I've only heard one other coach speak about it, and that's actually Al McGuire. When I was a, a young coach coming up the ranks, Al McGuire was the head coach at Marquette University in Milwaukee, and I heard him speak at a clinic. And he said that his approach to coaching was to teach through winning. And I thought, boy, that's a really interesting, interesting insight. And I thought about it a lot over the years, and it really kind of evolved. And, and I think what Al was trying to say, at least the way I understood it, is that the best opportunity for teaching is when, when the team is, is doing well. In other words, I think in, in the profession, there's a tendency for us to really get on our players if we lose a game and then, you know, kind of, you know, let things go when the team is doing well or when a team's winning. And, you know, and I did that myself early in my coaching career where, you know, sometimes I would, I would, you know, be more demanding of the team when things weren't going well. Mm -hmm. And so to me, teaching through winning means that, you know, we hold the players to a standard of performance and that the scoreboard really doesn't dictate how we approach our coaching, that whether we win the game or we lose the game, it doesn't really matter in the sense that we're going to demand and we're going to correct and we're going to, to watch film and, and point out the things that we got to do to get better, whether we win the game or not. And I have found that this approach and we teach more through winning and even when we lose the game, rather than, 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 than trying to look at where the blame should be uh, placed, I try to look at it from a standpoint that I'm as responsible when the team doesn't win as anybody else. I'm the coach. I'm helping prepare this team. And if we don't win, then you know what? Maybe it's something that I can do better. So, uh, so this approach of teaching through winning has been one that's 
really been central to to what we do. And it, it's been, uh, I think it's been very effective because we're holding our players accountable and holding them accountable to the standard performance and the outcome of the game is not going to dictate uh, how we approach that. And then lastly, uh, as I thought about these things that I would, I would say were, you know, were about or the things that I would recommend to a younger coach is, and this might be the only original thought that I've had in, I don't know, maybe I heard it from somebody else and I think it's original, but um, I like to say that defense is the foundation of our program, but offensive skills will determine our ultimate success. So our program is built on a defensive foundation and uh, we take a little bit different approach to defense than most. Uh, we're, we're basically a multiple defensive team. It's a multiple zone team, um, but it's been very effective for us. The defense is a foundation, but we think that as good as defense, as good as we've been defensively, it's offensive skill that is ultimately going to determine how successful we are. So th those, are, those are five things, Kevin, that I would recommend to coaches uh, as maybe things to think about. And, um, and when I think about uh, approaching practice, I, I, I think back to uh, really one of the great mentors that I had, although I only really met him once and there only very briefly, didn't, can't say that I really knew him at all, but certainly read everything that he has written about the game and probably heard him speak a dozen times, if not more, over the course of his, of his uh, public life when he was either coaching or speaking, and that's John Wooden from UCLA. And I remember, I go back to 1976. It was the first big clinic I attended in, in Graham Rapids, Michigan. I'll never forget it at the Pantland Hotel of all places. I don't even know if it's still there. But uh, there had to be five, 600 coaches in the audience in this big auditorium. And uh, Wooden said, I'm, I'm going to give you the, the, the three keys to, to success. And when a guy had, at that point had won, I think, uh, I think he just finished winning his 10th national championship, says, here the three keys to success. You could hear all the pens and pencils coming out everybody's <laughs> yeah. pockets, right? And, and, and Wooden talked about three things that have been really at the heart of how we approach our, our coaching. And the first is that Wooden always talked about the importance of conditioning, right? And he talked about the importance of fundamentals and he talked about the importance of team play. And so everything that we do in practice and the way we approach our team is, is centered on these three thoughts. You know, building the conditioning of our team uh, through playing hard and playing tough, uh, through fundamental execution uh, of the individual skills of the game, and then getting them to play as a unit. And of course, this takes us right to practice, right? At the end of the day, this is where we're able to build that foundation. And I believe a coach's success begins and ends with practice. And, and why is practice so important? Well, as, as coaches, we, we have a philosophy or an approach to the game, right? Whether we're sitting in our, in our office or sitting with our staff in front of the whiteboard or our playbooks, whatever it might be, we've developed a philosophy of how we see that game being played, right? And how, what game light is going to look like, right? So here we are in, in, in the meeting room, in, 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 our, in our playbooks, in, in our, on the chalkboard, on the whiteboard, whiteboard, race board, whatever it is, and then there's game night, right? Well, what's the link between the coach's philosophy and how that team is going to play on game night? That's practice. 
So to me, practice is absolutely essential. It's that link. If, if, if it ends in the meeting room or on the whiteboard or on, in the playbook, and that's not translated to game night, then we're not going to fulfill the vision that we have for our team. How we see our team playing under pressure, how we see our team playing with the lead, how we see our team playing when they're down or in the closing minutes of a, of a, of a tight game or in overtime or whatever it might be. What that vision is, it's the practice that links that vision or that philosophy with what takes place on game night. So we have certain practice principles, and I'll go through these quickly and then talk a little bit about some of the drills. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in effect, effective practice, Kevin, needs to have three things. One, I think it has to be game-like because I really believe the game teaches itself. You know, as much as we like to think that we as coaches are teaching, and certainly we're there to help uh, teach the game better. But you know what? There have been great players and even great teams that have developed where maybe the coaches have taken uh, a less prominent role, right? You know, a lot of players have learned to play the game on a schoolyard. And uh, because the game, if you play it enough times and you play it over the course of a lifetime, the game teaches itself. So practice has to be very game-like. And I think the players learn best by doing. You know, it's great for coaches to do a lot of uh, lecturing or whatever at certain times, I suppose, or explanation, but they learn best by doing. And I think the game is taught progressively from one-on-one to two-on-two, three-on-three, four-on-four to five-on-five. And I think the law of specificity enters very – very prominently in the development of practice. You have to work on the things that specifically actually show up in the game, right? Not waste time with, with frivolous drills or things that, that may happen once every four games. Uh, it, it's the things that happen the most in the game that we need to uh, make sure that we're spending our time on in practice. I think second, every effective practice has to have advantage-disadvantage situations. And this is really at the key of our practice activities. Advantage situations uh, teach decisions, especially offensively. When do things happen? When do I make a pass? When do I drive the ball? When do I take a shot? These decisions are made um, when players are functioning at an advantage, especially on the offensive end. And when they're at a disadvantage on the offensive end, I think that teaches toughness and grit, right? So now you're playing five defensive players against four offensive players. The defense has the advantage. Now the offense is working on their toughness, working on their grit, working on their conditioning, working on taking care of situations when uh, when, when it gets kind of sticky and tough and things don't come easily. And then third of practice, I think, has to include competition. And competition to me is critical because it engages players. I think it, it, it fights boredom and tedium, which are two of the biggest, biggest obstacles we have uh, to keeping our players engaged. And it provides immediate feedback. It lets a player know right away uh, in competition what he needs to do to get better or what he might be doing well as a result of, of, of a competitive activity. And I think it teaches players to play harder, tougher, more together, and I think it does those things for the purpose of winning, right? You have to teach the players how to win in practice 
and what are the things that teach players or, or, or put players in position to win. And it's those things that, that, uh, that, that you do in practice, whether it's building your, your, your skill level or things you do with your team in terms of communication or uh, team play or whatever it might be. And I think to me, these are the things that, that, um, that, that, that are central in, um, in building a good practice. And as I said, keeping score and charting progress to me is absolutely critical. So those are the practice principles. Uh, you know, I talked a little bit already about competition. Uh, very quickly, it engages the players and it motivates them. It frees the head coach to, to teach. And um, again, it teaches them, uh, the players and the coach, how to interact in emotional situations. So competition, advantage, disadvantage, uh, to me is important in building an effective practice. Okay, so how do we organize our practice? Now, you mentioned uh, Coach Durden from from um, from uh, Buford High School, and I, I just uh, learned of Coach uh, in the past week or so, a couple of weeks. Uh, I happened to be listening to 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 him speak. I uh, might have been on your on your uh, podcast, in fact, uh, Kevin, and he talked about having practice with 30, 30 players. And I've been thinking, ironically, I've been thinking of the same thing myself. We've always practiced with 18 to 20. So we have the best freshmen, sophomores with our varsity every day, 18 to 20 players. But we also had a separate freshman practice. And I learned this from uh, one of my mentors, local coach, who said, you know, that your best freshman should never, should only know one practice and only one head coach, and that's the varsity head coach. And I thought that was a great insight. So we've always kept our best freshmen and sophomores with our with our, our JV and varsity. But when I heard Coach Durden say that he practices with his entire freshman team, I said, wait a minute, I've been thinking about the same thing. Maybe having all of our freshmen, our entire program together in the gym. So we had a nice conversation about that. And he, he uh, gave me some insights on, on how he accomplishes that. Um, again, varsity and JV together, which includes freshmen. Equipment, six baskets, two balls per player scrimmage vest, scoreboard, and chairs. Uh, we have five coaches in the gym with 20 players, three varsity and two JV. If I bring all my freshmen now, we'll actually add two more coaches. We'll have two freshman coaches. So we have seven coaches in, in the gym. And we use the whistle in practice because the whistle is what stops playing the game. And um, we always try to have two or more managers keeping score and keeping the clock. And any activity where we have four or five on a team, we usually keep the top varsity seven or eight players together. And I'll explain how we, uh, how we do that in just a second. So that's how we go about organizing our practice in terms of the essential components that help us uh, uh, plan the practice well. Uh, our practice format, as we said, conditioning always in everything we do, in and out of practice, and the mental part of it, right? Building the team attitude in that environment or atmosphere that's gonna make you successful. You know, we want physically to teach our players how to play hard and tough. And, uh, you know, I guess we can never, we can always play harder, I suppose, but I really emphasize playing hard and tough all the time. In terms of fundamentals, approximately 50% of our practice or 60 to 75 minutes are spent on fundamentals. And we work on five skills, passing, dribbling, shooting, defense, and rebounding. And obviously those encompass other skills as well, such as screening and cutting and footwork and so on. But I say those are the five major skills we work on, pass, dribble, shoot, defend, and rebound. And we do a lot of group work and breakdowns 
to teach individual skills. And then we spend about 50% uh, 50 of our time or 60 to 75 minutes on competition and advantage disadvantage in a series of drills that we call our daily bread. These are our daily bread activities, which I think teach team skills. So that gives you an overview. I don't know if you want to talk about our drills, uh, Kevin, I can go through those right now, or if you have questions or any, um, any thoughts that, uh, that maybe we can take a break here and, and go through before we continue, uh, I'll, I'll leave that up to you. Coach, I love this. Uh, matter of fact, I, I, I want you to, I'm going to throw out some things that we do, Coach, and I want you to kind of critique and see what we do. But I'll I tell you what I love. I think you have to have a philosophy of your culture, your system, but also of your practices. I don't think that's done enough. So this is actually very valuable information for coaches. They can take this and apply it immediately into their program to make themselves more focused practice. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I believe that, you know, that you have to have a philosophy of how you're going to practice. Again, if, if what I said at the beginning is true and what you said, that, that, that the best coaches really uh, spend a lot of time with their practices. But if what we said is true, that the, the practice is that link between the coach's philosophy and, and game night, then it would behoove a coach to spend a lot of time developing a philosophy and how that practice should be run. Yeah, I totally agree. And, um, and I just want to share with you a little bit about, about what we do, because I think what we do uh, is very unique. And I, 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 I've studied your defensive system. I think I've shared with you, you know, how we play defensively. For example, we run 2-2-1 back in the buzz, uh, which is a 2-1-2 press. It it, it, but I think you always have to have an adjustment to that. Um, and I'll, we'll kind of share a little bit about how we played tonight. But what we do in practice is we always start with what we call our leadership academy. Uh, and we, we have a topic every week. For example, um, this past week, we talked about body language. And we talk about body language screams. So each day for five minutes, we, have, we show a video clip and we talk about body language and I call it leadership academy because basically we're trying to develop leaders into our program so first of all talk give me a little bit of of, of that and tell me what you think about that and what we do I think that's that's excellent thing we, we, we do a, a similar thing uh, as our players are coming out on the court I usually wait right by the locker room door on the court but on the locker room door in, in one of our customs or part of our program tradition is that you have to get dressed in the locker room, right? You can't come out on, on the floor with your shirt untucked and your shoes untied mm -hmm. and, you know, your practice jersey off. Uh, you know, when you come through that door, uh, our players know they have to be ready for practice. And for me, being, again, that's part of leadership, right? It, is, it means, you know, being ready to practice. So, and I'm there always to greet them, Kevin. I, I always shake every player's hand as he comes in. And I might take a, a, a few seconds here to have a little small talk with each player. And sometimes, you know, you find out about how a guy's thinking that day or what his mood might be or whatever. And then uh, our players will work on some individual things on their own. And then once, um, you know, once um, they're all in the gym, I'll blow the whistle and then I'll bring the players together and, uh, and I'll talk to them. Same thing, I'll have a thought for the day and I'll discuss with them. 
And then before we do any stretching or anything else, we actually take a lap around the court. And we call that lap the no shortcuts lap. Uh -huh. so, I love it. So here's, here's the deal, right? <laughs> we have the main court and it has four corners. Yeah. And the whole thing together, it's not a sprint, it's a jog. And they just jog around the court one time, but they can't cut any of the four corners, right? And so we've talked about this. We, we've, we've told them, look, if yeah. we're going to be the kind of team that's going to compete for a championship this year, there aren't any shortcuts to success, right? So every day we start with that little reminder. I love it. Hey, coaches, this is Nick Bartlett, marketing manager here at Dr. Dish Basketball, and we're thrilled to be a part of the 2020 Championship Vision Virtual Clinic. Coach Kevin Furtado has been a great friend of ours for a few years now, and we greatly appreciate his commitment to growing the game the right way and providing great resources to the basketball coaching community. At Dr. Dish, we're always here to help as well with our state-of-the-art equipment, drills, and content. If you're ready to upgrade to the best training machines in the world and join top programs like Duke, North Carolina, Florida, Louisville, and countless others, we'd love to have you as a part of the Dr. Dish family. Remember, we take trade-ins on all shooting machines, including competitors, for significant discounts. And just by registering for this clinic, you're eligible to receive an additional exclusive $300 off your next Dr. Dish purchase. For more information, visit our website at drdishbasketball.com, give us a call, or shoot me an email directly at nick at drdishbasketball.com. And make sure to follow us on all social media channels at drdishbball. No shortcuts lap. And so once they complete their no shortcuts lap, I've already talked to them for a few minutes. I've greeted each player as he enters the gym. Now we'll start with our stretching and then begin with our, with our practice plan for the day. Coach, that's a little thing. I love, I love that stuff. I just want to tell you, because that's, that's one thing that I can take tomorrow, which I'm going to steal from you, and I'm going to add to what we do. I think – I don't know if coaches do enough of that, adding just those little details, reminders, to help them in practice tomorrow. And I think, uh, like many customs in all of our programs, right, we all have traditions and customs. As soon as I say, okay, no shortcuts, they know that's the cue for them to take the lap. And, of course, they go kind of like a, like a herd, right? They go together. And they're <laughs> reminding each other, you know, no shortcuts, guys. And if somebody takes that shortcut, I bring them back. And, and, and it, it doesn't happen. It, it's very infrequent that something like that would happen. But if it does happen, you know, and they watch each other. And if a guy takes a shortcut, they'll say, hey, you know, so-and-so, Billy took a shortcut. Let's go. We start over again. And just reminding ourselves that there's no, there's no easy way, right? You, you have to, you have to uh, pay the price if you want to be successful. Well, Coach, what I love about that is you know you're going to get a situation in the game where you're going to say, hey, no shortcuts. Exactly. I mean, it, it, and that, that's, that's great coaching to me. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's helped us. And, you know, again, trying, you know, it's all about building that atmosphere, that environment, you know, where you can be successful. And you have a team that's taking shortcuts I think it's hard to, hard to be successful when it really counts. I really want you to go into your daily bread here, Coach, because we do three things in our practice. We compete, we rebound, and we call it Mudita. And that is Mudita is really, really thinking about others first. Uh, and we work on that every day. The first thing we do in our practice is what we call attitude rebounding. We start with, no, I mean, no fundamental drills. We start with rebounding because they, we think that is number one in our program. And then we go up with, and we compete in every drill. And then we keep track on how players are doing with our, what we call our win chart 
talk about what your daily bread is. Sure. Uh, yeah, the daily bread are our team drills that we use to build, uh, you know, to, to, to build uh, the competition and how to build our team. And uh, hang on a second. Oops, there we go. Okay, the, the, uh, and here are the, the daily bread drills one on one full yeah, court, two on one plus one build up, and I'll explain each one of these. Uh, three on three, five on five, five on four, sprint ahead, four on five, five on four, continuous, uh, five on four, half court, find the open man, and then five on five on five, half court and full court. And then we have a what I consider to be kind of a unique way that we scrimmage, and then maybe I'll cover that at the end. So uh, I'll go ahead and talk a little bit about each one of these drills and show how we set them up. And, and if, if you have questions or there are questions, please, uh, you know, let me know, and, and we'll certainly stop and, sure. and do it. Um, but our one-on-one -on -one full, you know, we, we divide our team in, into, again, we have 20 players on the court, 18 to 20. Maybe this year we'll, we'll have 30 on the court like, uh, like they do at, at Coach Durden's program. Um, but, um, you know, we, we have, a, let's say, a blue and a red team, and they're going to go for, say, three minutes down the left side of the floor, one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. They're limited to four dribbles when they cross the half-court line. And uh, if they take a fifth dribble, it's a turnover. And then uh, if the defensive player gets to stop or he gets possession of the ball, he outlets the ball to his line. And then uh, the, the drill continues, right? So, uh, you know, the, the, the one player will, will outlet the ball. I'm sorry, the X1 will outlet the ball to his line to three. And then it becomes, it continues a one-on-one -on -one drill going in the other direction. So the player that was on defense, on, Offense converts to defense, and, and they continue for three minutes. We do it three minutes on the left side, three minutes on the right side, and we score. So every basket is one point. Uh, we'll give a, 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 an extra point for an offensive rebound. And like you, we try to emphasize rebounding, and we do that usually by always giving the offensive rebound an extra point in any drill that we do. So one-on-one -on -one full court, then it's about a six-minute drill for us, and it's something that we – and of course, we talked to them a lot about in the individual portion of practice, we talk about clipping the hip and we talk about how to take up the slack and all the things that we do in terms of the actual fundamentals. But here we have, we have the opportunity to play it out live and put those fundamentals that we learned at the beginning of practice to work in a life situation. I love how it's competitive, Coach, and I love uh, – I don't, I don't think one-on-one -on – -one, tell me if I'm wrong. I don't think one-on-one -on -one is worked on enough, maybe even at the college level, where it's really emphasized. I think I think there's a lot of breakdown there. I think one-on-one -on -one is underestimated. I agree, and that's why we we make it part of our daily bread because uh, we we found ourselves over the years that you know we we weren't emphasizing the one-on-one -on -one skills as much because we wanted to emphasize team play, right? We want our guys to focus on on team play, setting each other up and so forth. Well, obviously we need to do that as well. But at the end of the day, the game breaks down to that opportunity where a you know, player gets the ball in position where now they have to make a move, whether it's with or without the dribble. And so, um, you know, working on one-on-one -on -one moves, we, we do that for a portion of practice every day. Our, our, our next uh, daily bread is what we call two-on-one plus one. And this is a buildup because it begins, we do this, uh, drill for 15 minutes. We do three five-minute segments, right? So we do five minutes of two-on-one plus one, then five minutes of three-on-two plus one, and then five minutes of four-on-three plus one. 
right? So again, we have our teams divided for the day and we've divided our group. And again, here, our best players all play against each other. We don't keep our top players together. We try to make the teams as equal as possible and we move players around from day to day just so we can see different combinations. But the, the drill begins, uh, there's a cone in the middle of the floor. Uh, the uh, blue team has the ball. I blow the whistle and the game begins two, two against one. As soon as the ball crosses half court, I'm gonna use my cursor here, I don't know if you can see it, but uh, X2 comes in from out of bounds. And now you have a momentary two on one that quickly becomes a two on two if you don't take care of the advantage that you have, right? Um, and so it continues, it becomes a two on two drill. If they didn't score two on one, and then um, if the offensive team blue scores or misses, either way, the red team uh, gets the ball and then the blue team applies a press on the red, right? So it's a full court game. It's full court all the time. There's full court pressure. So let's say that the red teams uh, got scored on, they take the ball out of bounds and then the blue team puts on a press. Now, anytime you inbound the ball in this buildup, we don't allow you to dribble in the backcourt. So let's say the, the, the red team was scored on, they take the ball out of bounds, and the blue team applies a press. They cannot dribble a basketball until it gets across the half-court line. Okay. If it's a steal or a defensive rebound, they can dribble a basketball so they can start their fast break, right? So now that the red team has possession of the ball as soon as they cross the half-court line, right? The, the number one and number two fall out, and they join the line. And now four is the next player in line for the Blues. As soon as the ball crosses half court, he joins in. And now, again, the same idea. It's just continuous for five minutes. We score plus one for every basket scored. We usually don't separate threes and twos. Uh, we just say plus one for every basket scored, plus one for every offensive rebound. Some days we might take a point away if, uh, if the offensive team turns the ball over. But we go five minutes of two on one plus one. Okay, and then, excuse me, then uh, uh, we'll, we'll let the teams debrief to keep the score on the scoreboard, and then we put five more minutes on, same exact drill, but now it's three on two plus one, five minutes of that, let the teams debrief, talk about what they did well, what they need to do better, right, running score on the clock, on, on the scoreboard rather, five more minutes, four on three plus one, and then we have a winner and a loser for this build-up uh, segment. And we find that in this uh, build-up segment, this is where we really teach a lot of our system, offensively and defensively as well. Yeah, so I love this. Yeah, I, I just want to ask, Coach, um, let's say if – so you have 10 players. So if you have additional players, is there – how are you rotating all your all your kids in during this? Yeah, they, 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 in, in that drill, they, they will rotate themselves. And, you know, usually uh, – for example, the blue team will have, you know, this year I'm only going to have two seniors, but usually I have four or five seniors. And I'll, I'll, I'll divide up the seniors and the juniors. And so there's older guys and younger guys together. And, you know, they, they are instructed not to skip line, right? Everybody gets a chance to play. And uh, so if we have 20 players, we'll have 10 on each sideline, right? Everybody gets a chance to, to play. So the older guys play against the younger guys. The younger guys play against the older guys. And I find that this really helps our younger players with um, their development, right? They're playing against, as I've always said, with our freshmen or two that we bring up to the varsity and our sophomores, they basically are playing against a varsity 
schedule the entire season because they're practicing against varsity players every day. So I think it's really been an important feature, you know, in, in our, our continuing our success every year. We really don't, um, you know, every year we, we've graduated seniors, but yet we continue to compete at a pretty high level mm-hmm. in our area. And I think we're able to do that because our younger players are always developing at a, at a little quicker rate than most because they're competing against varsity players. Love it. Our three-on-three sprint ahead. Again, we have our, our blue and red teams for the day. Actually, our colors are maroon and gold, but uh, I, I put uh, blue and red here so it's easier to see. And then we just start with a three-on-three half-court game. Again, teaching whatever fundamentals you want to teach, you know, pass and screen away, pass and cut. Uh, if you're teaching dribble drive motion, you might teach your spacing and, and gapping uh, uh, principles here. And then defensively, you're playing whatever, three-on-three uh, you know, defense in the sense of uh, man-to-man defense and, and whatever defensive rules you've worked on in your individual portion of practice. And again, uh, here, the red team uh, shoots. If they make or miss, one of the blue team players will get the ball, whether he gets it off a steal, a made basket, or a rebound, and he will outlet the ball to two players coming in from the corners, right? And so now he stays on. So the player that gets possession of the ball, so we're trying to reward aggressiveness, we're trying to reward toughness, trying to reward players who play hard. You know, and sometimes I'll stop and say, look, you know, some of you guys – you know, you know, here, here, Johnny's always in, in there, right? I mean, Johnny seems to always find a way to, to get an extra possession in. I said, because he's being aggressive and, and he's playing hard and tough, you know, we need everybody doing that. So here three was on defense, but he beat everybody else to the ball and he outlets the ball. And now the game goes back in the opposite direction. Offense goes to defense. So red stays on with a new blue team made up of two new players and the one player who got the ball. And then they attack and go the other way, all right, three on three. And we call it sprint ahead because these two players are coming in from the sideline, from the corners to a sprint ahead situation. Now, we can do this drill four on four. We can do this drill five on five, okay? And to do it five on five, the player who gets the ball stays, and then four players come in from the corners, right? So now, again, you reward the player who's aggressive and who's tough and who's going after the ball, and he, he gets another trip, and, and then he, he goes to the two players that come in from each corner, and then the other four players are off the floor, and they keep just filling the corners. So we do this three-on-three, three, uh, typically four-on-four four or five-on-five. Five. We'll do this for five, six minutes. Uh, we also like to do this in uh, – uh, let's see here. Okay, yeah, three-on-three, three, so we do it um, – Okay, we also like to do this four on five, five on four. So the way we rotate this, and this will take a little bit of an explanation here, uh, if you'll let me for a second. Um, okay, so here you see the red team starts to drill or the get competition with five offensive players and the defense has four, right? So sure. here now we start teaching, uh, because we're a zone defensive team, we're, we start teaching defense at a disadvantage, right? So what are our principles? And again, whatever principles the coach wants to teach, he can teach here. So we have certain principles that we teach on how we defend uh, when we're down a player, right? So now the red team will either score or not. And again, one of the uh, 
offensive players will get the ball, right, and outlet the ball, and four players will come in, and now the player that gets the ball does not stay in, okay? So when we go at a disadvantage, it's the only time we kind of violate that rule. I suppose you could keep it the same if you wanted to, but we do it because we want to get more players playing at this point. So, um, so three will get the ball, outlet it, and then he will join the corner lines, and then four players will come in from out of bounds, and now they're going to go four against five in the opposite direction. Oops, sorry, I went up over here. Okay, they'll go four against five in the opposite direction against the red team. And when the Reds get possession of the ball, they'll do the same thing. They'll bring five new players in against the four Blues, and it continues five against four in this fashion with the four with the uh, with, with the blue team always having four players, and the uh, and the red team always having five. And then you can do this for say three or four minutes with the red team having the advantage, and then flip it over and have the blue team playing at a five on four advantage. Going back the hey, other way. Coach, let, let me jump in. Are you, I know you're a zone coach. So are you playing in transition? Are you matching up in your zone? Exactly. Um, and, so and we're I, teaching, we're teaching how to play defense at a disadvantage, right? So uh, we have a, some principles that we follow. First of all, you know, we tell them who's the most important player on the floor, obviously the one with the ball, right? So we have to make sure that we get somebody on the ball and we got to make sure we protect the basket. So we have four defensive players, you know, protect the basket, get somebody on the ball and the other two players find the two most dangerous offensive players. And then when the next pass is made, right, the closest player concept always prevails. So the closest player has to call ball. Somebody always has to cover the basket. The two next defenders have to be in position to cover the two most dangerous offensive players. And as the, as the offensive team passes the ball, that defensive coverage is constantly changing, right? Because, it's just like it's going to be in our, in our zone defenses. And it's actually a great drill for man-to-man -man coaches as well uh, because you're learning how to, how to rotate, how to cover for each other, et cetera. Same thing that we do in our zone defense. So we, we, we inculcate those principles primarily when we're playing at a disadvantage, whether it's two-on-one, how do we defend two-on-one? How do we defend three against two, four against three, five against four, uh, six against five? because we do that as well, sometimes seven against five, which I'll talk about in just a second here. So we really try and build this drill up so that it's continuous and it's competitive and it's, it's fast moving. I mean, it just goes. And that's what I want. I want instant conversion. Um, you know, basketball is a great game uh, because it's, it, you, know, you don't have to wait you know, 30 minutes to get the defense back on the field or, or you have to wait three innings to bat again, you know, like you do in other sports. And obviously those sports have their own challenges, uh, but the challenge in basketball is to make that instant conversion, right? Moving on to the next play. And we don't have any time for uh, a player to, uh, to, to, to you know, be upset about a mistake or, or to show any kind of body, we don't tolerate any kind of body language. I mean, you just have to move on to the next play immediately. And if a player doesn't do that, he's gonna get burned in, in the way that we practice. Coach, um... Do you think one of the biggest problems in practice is because I go and watch college practices, I don't think they're teaching enough conversion. Am I wrong? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I, I think that, you know, the game, you know, I, I'll tell you two, two quick anecdotes and I, I guess I'll be dropping a couple of names here that you and I'll know maybe some of our younger coaches may not know, but a uh, good friend of mine, 
um, of, of happy memory, uh, attended a clinic where Hank Iba was the speaker. Right? <laughs> sure. Great Hank Iba. And so he said uh, he went to the, to the, to the uh, restaurant uh, in the hotel after the clinic and saw Mr. Iba sitting there by himself. As a young coach, he went over and said, Coach, and he thought it was a great opportunity to talk to one of the real legends. And he said to Mr. Iba, he said, Mr. Iba, you know, what, what, are, what kind of drills do you run in practice? And he said that Mr. Iba just fell silent for a few seconds. It was kind of awkward and, and uncomfortable. And he thought maybe he asked the wrong question. And he said that Mr. Iba turned to him and said, listen, son, won't you understand something? They play this game with five players. I practice this game with five players. And I've never forgotten that. And uh, yeah. actually, the coach that told me that is, I uh, was the great Bill Green who coached at Marion High School in Indiana, won six state mm -hmm. championships. And he yeah. told me that story many years ago and I've never forgotten it. And, um, and, and then of course, Coach Knight. Coach Knight always said there are three, three parts to the game of basketball, right? There's offense, there's defense, and there's conversion, right? That was Coach Knight's uh, paradigm, offense, defense, conversion. And then he would say, of the three, the most important is conversion, right? So yeah, for us, the game is played full court, so we practice at full court to the greatest extent possible. Yeah. Bill Green, the great one-two-two matchup, right? Or That's right. Yeah, great matchup. Yeah. Hey. yeah. I tell you, Bill, Bill, Bill was uh, – I got to know him um, as when I was coaching in college. I uh, attended his practices, recruiting, uh, looking at his players and recruiting, trying to recruit some of his players. And then yeah. after he retired, we remained friends until he uh, – he passed a number of years ago, but he was a, a great coach and a really, really a good guy, uh, a guy that really loved to uh, to talk basketball. We, we had many great conversations, but uh, yeah, and a great matchup defensive coach. And here's a guy that he stayed with that zone, six, six state championships in Indiana and uh, never pressed really, unless he was down at the end of the game. But he, he was a, a pack defensive coach with that three, two matchup. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, the next drill is one that we call four on five, five on four continuous. And this is a really uh, a real favorite drill of mine, uh, one of our real important daily breads, because um, here, Kevin, we put our top eight players together, or okay. nine, top eight or nine. So um, so here we'll take, uh, our, uh, I've got four on the court here. We'll say the red team is our top varsity guys, right? So there's... Um, you know, four players on the floor, and then I'll have three substitutes on the sideline that are with me. Yeah. Which I, I duplicated some of these numbers. I shouldn't have done that, but anyway. Yeah. And then I, I, I take eight with me, and then I send the other 12 with my assistants, right? So they have all the rest of the group with them. And we play this as a live five-on-four game, and I keep the same four players in the game, unlike the previous drill where we change players as – there's a as there's a a bait basket or or change of possession. Here we keep the same four players on the floor for continuous possessions, right? So now I've got my top eight varsity players with me, and they're playing at a disadvantage on both ends of the court, right? They're playing five against four defensively, but when they get possession of the ball, they're playing four against five, and we instruct instruct the blue team. To always trap the ball, right? So they have to now work on, you know, their ball handling skills. Uh, they're cutting away from the ball to create passing lanes, being strong and tough with the ball, all the things that we are teaching to them individually. And we take this drill 
let them run up and down the floor two, three, four times or, or until I feel there's a need to make a change. And believe me, this is an exhausting, exhausting drill for your, for your top eight. I take those four out and put maybe if I have eight, eight over there, I'll, I'll put four more in. I only have uh, seven. Uh, I'll put three in and take, take, uh, take three out. Whatever number of, of my top rotation is that year, I'll make my substitutions just like I would in a game. But they're always functioning at a disadvantage. And we'll play this five on six, six on five, and then five on seven, seven on five. And this is a great drill for a zone situation. And I got this idea from uh, a great coach, uh, again, uh, deceased, unfortunately, Jim Maloney, who's John Cheney's assistant at Temple for many years. And uh, I, I really studied John Cheney's teams during my college years and studied him on the defensive end of the floor in particular. And that really helped shape my philosophy as his own defensive coach. Had the opportunity to visit with Jim Maloney on a recruiting stop along the way and we talked a little bit about practice and how they work on the zone. And he told me that the seven on five, five on seven was a real key activity for them so that they're always uh, practicing their zone against seven offensive players. So they're always at a disadvantage. And then when they get possession of the ball, they have seven offense or seven defensive players trapping and pressing, denying the five offensive players. And uh, I thought that was a great, a, a great idea. And uh, we've actually, at times, believe it or not, put as many as eight and nine players out against our top, sure. our top guys. And trying to get the concept being that we want to make practice more challenging than the game. And that's the purpose of practice to prepare you for game competition, right? So we want to make it as tough as we possibly can. And that's four on five, five on four continuous is one of our, our important drills. Uh, five on four, half court, find the open man. Now this, this drill I really like because we can really teach our offense here. Again, we divide our squad into two teams. I'm using black and red here instead of blue and red. Um, uh, so we put five offensive players on offense, four defensive players on defense. And they will put, say, uh, four minutes on the clock, right, or three minutes on the clock. And we have two basketballs. So there's two groups of five ready to go. And there's 10 players in red, only four on the court at a time. The offensive team attacks, right? We do this either without the dribble or we allow one dribble or they can use, you know, it's regular life situation. They can dribble as many times as they like. And now here we're teaching our offensive principles, right? The idea of passing and cutting or whatever it is that you want to teach. Uh, trying to find the open man trying to create long closeouts, how to drive closeouts, how to space the court, you know, how to position yourself for a three-point shot or a drive, uh, how to post up. I mean, all these things come into play here in this five-on-four half-court, find the open man. So the, this first group of uh, five will go five against four. If they score or are stopped, all nine of those players are off the court and four new reds come in and five offensive players, new offensive players come in. And so it's a continuous changing. Continuous, uh, yeah. I love it, coach, yeah. Five on four. So we'll go three to four minutes with the black team being on offense and three or four minutes with the, with the red team being on offense. And then we tabulate the points and, and see how we do. Sometimes we'll, if we want to spend a lot of time on this on a given day, I might go three minutes of the black team 
with the ball starting on the right side of the floor, and then three minutes with the with the black team with the ball starting on the left side of the floor, and then we flip it over and give the ball to the red team and give them six minutes, three on the right, three on the left. So we're simulating as we're coming in out of our quick game, which we run um, right into our half court offense and, and teaching our players how to get a great shot every possession. So this is an important uh, teaching activity for us in terms of developing our half court offense. And as much as we like to run, and we do, we're running at every opportunity. I really believe that, and again, uh, you know, in another Bill Green principle, Bill Green always said that the championship games are gonna be decided on the half court. And, uh, and so we believe that as much as we wanna run and we wanna both get back and set our defense, we wanna make sure that we are capable of really defending on the half court and scoring on the half court to compete at the championship level. Coach, can I, can I jump in really quick and ask sure. you, um, when does, I think every coach has this issue is, when do you teach, when do you drill? Because we love all the continuous drills. How, when do you teach within this? Like, let's say you're working on, uh, you know, maybe like right now, tomorrow, we're going to be working on post defense. Now, how much do you teach and when do you just let them go? I mean, that, to me, that's a good, good question. question. Great question. I think, uh, I think you know, as a head coach, uh, my my staff understands that I'm the only one that can stop practice. Uh, every coach can coach, and I and I and I want him to coach. In fact, in all of our competitive drills, uh, I'll use this example here. We have our, our our assistant coaches are always spread out, taking a line. So we we get a, at least one coach on the baseline, one coach on each sideline, one coach at the half court line if we're running a half court drill, or if it's full court. We do that full court. And each coach always has the ball under his arm. So, for example, if the ball gets deflected out of bounds, you know, early in the season, I might let them go chase the ball out of bounds just to develop aggressiveness. But sure. once we get into once we get into the, the season, if the ball gets batted out of bounds, then I have a coach standing there with a ball, and he just pitches the ball in so we can keep the action going, right? And I let the managers uh, chase the balls instead, right? So – our assistant coaches are coaching all the time. Sometimes I'll assign two coaches to the red team, two coaches to the black team. I'm going to watch every, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to watch the over the overall. Only I can stop the entire practice, but every coach can talk to any player at any time, right? So if uh, one of my, let's say my, my son Rob is one of my assistant coaches, and if he wants to talk to X4 about something defensively, he's free to substitute that player anytime he wants. Right. So he can he can he can substitute X seven in for X four, and he can grab X four and say, "Hey, you got to get in the stance, got to see ball, whatever the point is, right?" And any one of my assistant coaches can do that. He can substitute one or two players to make a coaching point, right? He can huddle a team on the sideline while they're playing. But as far as stopping practice, I try to let the practice speak to me, right? And so if I feel that the point is a critical one for everybody's benefit. I'll blow the whistle. And again, one of our traditions or one of our customs, since we're playing the game full court a lot, is that if I blow the whistle and I'm on one end of the court, let's say, let me go back to a full court uh, diagram. Let's say that I'm down here at this end where the cursor is and I blow the whistle and everybody's down at the other end. I always tell the players, whenever I blow the whistle and we're full court and you stop everything when a whistle blows, and then start walking towards the coach. Or maybe at that point, I might turn it over to one of my assistants 
And one of my assistants might have said, hey, Will, we need to do A, B, and C. I might say, great, I'm going to stop practice, and you can tell them that. I'll blow the whistle. I'll say, okay, everybody, listen to Coach B. Scott Bogomil is one of our assistants, been a great coach. And anyway, I say, okay, listen to Coach B. And the players know that whenever there's mass instruction like that, they're going to walk in the direction of the coach that's doing the talking so that it's a way that you listen with your eyes, you listen with your ears, but you also listen with your body language as you're coming closer to the coach who's doing the talking. And now when we're finished making our point to the whole group, I'll blow the whistle, everybody sprints back to where they were, and we continue, continue the practice. That's a great question. I think, I think it's you got to do it by feel. That's a great point because I think an underrated part of practice is do you stop practice to teach to the group? Or like, I love what you're doing. I love how just like in a game, you're pulling kids out to coach them. But don't you see when you watch a lot of practices where a coach will stop and teach and then the kids are all walking around, they're not focused. I mean, to me, those are undervalued things that for coaches to learn. Like, hey, if I'm going to talk to the group, I need max eyes on what's going on. It sounds like you guys do that. Yeah, we do. And that's part of our, again, one of our customs or traditions in terms of setting up that atmosphere that I talked about at the beginning. Um, you know, and I tell our players, it doesn't matter who the person is that's talking to the group. It could be another player. It could be one of the senior captains. It could be, you know, one of the underclassmen that I've asked to, or share something with the group, you know, our attention should always be on the person. I tell them that. I said, look, you listen with your eyes, your ears, and with your body language, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you know, you can be looking at somebody and, you know, you can be tuning in, but, you know, your body language is communicating something negative, you know, you're, you're not listening to that person. You know, you, you need to listen and be attentive. So we try to build that into the way that we, that we run our practice. And here's the last uh, thing is, is what we call five on five on five. And we do this two ways, Kevin. And uh, th- th- this five on five on five half court is really uh, a, a great drill and one that I really enjoy because, again, it's so fast moving, right? And here we have three teams, uh, a dark blue, uh, a light blue or green, and then a brown team here or maroon. And uh, the way this works is that um, – the team with the ball here, the blue team attacks five on five against the Maroons. When the Maroons get possession of the ball, either because the blue team scored or they stopped them, they have to now transition to get the ball cleared to the green team, right? The blue team is now going to turn around and play defense on, on, the, on the green team, right? So you go from offense and you're going to go to defense. And actually the way we do this, once we learn the rotation, the blue team will play defense twice. So if you can follow along here, the maroon or the blue team scores on a maroon team, right? Okay. Maroon takes the ball out of bounds. Blue sets up a momentary press. If they steal the ball, they can score again. Sure. If they take it out of the net, if the, the, the defensive team steals it, scores, and they beat the offensive team to the ball, we'll let them take it out of the net and score again, right? So, again, we're trying to put a premium on rebounding and going after the basketball, all right? But let's say now Blue scores. They're pressing the Maroon team. Maroon negotiates that momentary press and gets the ball cleared to the one man on the other side of the floor 
Now the Blues will turn right back around and play defense again. And now the green team attacks the blue team and the brown team goes back to line. So it's five on five on five, but it's in the half court. And I, I, I love this drill because it's so, if, if, a, if a player stops for a second and hesitates for any reason, they're, they're, his team's going to get scored on. And right. so, you know, again, talking about there's offense, there's defense, and there's conversion, okay? Conversion can be done a lot of different ways. It can be done changing ends of the court, or it can be done changing, changing responsibilities within the, the same end of the court, right? And that's what we're having the blue team do here. The blue team's going from offense to defense on one group and into defense on another group, right? So again, this whole notion of being a, a quick thinker and, and, and making a quick transition mentally from one responsibility to the next, okay? And then we play this out again for five. And our, our drills are four, five, six minutes long. Um, and then we, we're moving on to something else where the, the players are going to compete. And then here, typically, the way I assign the coaches, I'll assign a coach to each team. Um, and then I'll just coach the overall. So I, I typically don't take a team unless it's our top players together. Yeah. And, and uh, Coach, talk about how you're keeping score. I know, I, I mean, you're keeping score, obviously, in the scoreboard, you know, with three teams. How are you keeping score? We're, we're, again, uh, plus one for every basket. Right. Plus one for every offensive rebound. And then we will have uh, points of emphasis, for example. So if we have a point of emphasis, uh, which might be whatever, uh, you know, turnovers. If, if a team turns the ball over, they're going to get a minus one. So we might have a point of emphasis on a given day. Not, we don't do that every day. It's always plus one for a score, plus one for an offensive rebound in just about everything we do. And then uh, the way we score this typically, uh, something like this, because it's such a fast-moving activity, I'll have a, a manager with a clipboard and a sheet of paper, and he'll be standing by one of the coaches, and that coach will be actually spotting for him. He'll say, uh, two points for blue, uh, two points for maroon, one point for green, and he's just writing down the points. And then after the, the clock goes off, and we will uh, settle the score and declare a winner. Winners usually get a, a drink, or they might have to validate the win with a free throw. The sure. two teams might have uh, some push-ups or something, something like that, um, after the competition is over with. Hello, my name is Coach Charlie Miller, Head Master Trainer with the TAC Basketball Academy in Dallas, Texas. I'm here to promote the upcoming Championship Vision Podcast Clinic Series brought to us by Coach Kevin Furtado from Lake Oconee Academy in Greensboro, Georgia. Coach Furtado is a well-respected, sought-after coach and found other coaches like him to share their best practices and secrets to success with players, parents, and teams. The clinic will provide two types of virtual clinics, lecture-style via Zoomcast and on-court instructions with coaches and players. Again, my name is Coach Charlie Miller from Attack Basketball Academy, we work with kids from third grade through high school in a positive and growth-oriented atmosphere that promotes a whole-body approach to well-being. Our programs are designed not only to improve your child's ability on the court, but also to teach him or her valuable skills that will serve them throughout their lives. So, and then depending on the nature of the drill, sometimes we'll keep the score on the scoreboard. If it's something that's a little bit slower moving so the managers can keep up, 
right. in this particular activity, it's so fast that uh, that we have to uh, just have a manager with a clipboard and a coach spotting for him. Yeah, I, I, love, yeah, I love it, Coach. Competition, conversion, man, this is great stuff. Yeah, and then uh, our last five on five on five is is our full court, and I think a lot of people do this in different ways, where we go uh, three teams, but now it's the full court, right? Where you know this five on five on five was all half court, and you converted the same basket. Here it's five on five on five converting uh, at two different baskets, and so now we can change the defenses. Uh, we can play a two-three zone, for example. So we have the maroon team here playing a two-three zone, a one-two-two zone on the other end, or man-to-man, or trap, or whatever it might be. And sometimes we do this where uh, you know we we change teams on makes and misses, or sometimes I might just put our top five players on offense, and they can continue to stay on offense every possession. So you know they, they attack the two-three zone here, make or miss, they get the ball back attack the one two two zone on the other end or a man-to-man or half-court trap or whatever it might be. So we do the five on five on five at both uh, both ways. We change teams on makes and misses or where uh, we keep one team in all the time. So uh, the last thing I have here is, uh, Kevin's how we scrimmage. And I, I think this is a little bit unique. And I, I really, uh, you know, we, we probably scrimmage uh, maybe 10 uh, – 20 possessions. It's pure game-like scrimmage uh, just about every day. And, and the way we do this is um, we keep our top seven or eight players together. So here we do, you know, okay, here's top varsity rotation. Everyone else goes with my assistant coaches. Um, we put chairs out just like a game. So we have folding chairs always on the sideline. We use it for our individual drills and things. So we put the chairs out for both teams. Because I want our players to sit down just like they do in a game. And then I have to substitute. They have to get up, you know, and they have to do just like exactly how it would be in a game. Sure. And um, and we do it either sets of five or ten possessions, usually ten. And we'll do maybe two sets of ten possessions for 20 or three sets. Sometimes on a Saturday we won't do any uh, competitive uh, advantage, disadvantage stuff. We might just come in and, and scrimmage 60 or 70 possessions in, in sets of ten. Uh, but here's how, how we do this. Here's how we score it. We give the top seven or eight an offensive goal. They have to meet in those 10 possessions. So let's say we're going to go a 10 possession. We're going to say, oh, let's say we're going to go 40 possessions on a given night. And we're going to do it in four sets of 10 possessions, right? Just like a game. They have an offensive goal of 1.2 points per possession. We, we chart points per possession. It's an important uh, statistic for us, uh, metric that we use for feedback for our players and for ourselves as coaches. So that means they have to score 12 points in 10 possessions offensively. That's their offensive goal. Then we give them a defensive goal. They have to keep the other team under 0.5 or fewer points, right? That's tough. That's tough. So in order to win this 10 possession scrimmage, they have to win this 12 to 5. Hmm. Right or or better, right? They could win it eighteen to nothing for that matter, but they they have to at least score twelve and not give up more than five, right? And then we also give them a turnover goal, which early in the season usually twenty percent of your total possessions. As the season goes on, we we knock it down to ten percent. Ten percent. In other words, twenty percent on ten possessions is two turnovers. So let's look at. Uh, okay, and, and last thing, if the opponent at any point 
gets two offensive rebounds, the game is over. No matter what the score, no matter what the score was. So let's say, for example, uh, the top seven or eight are up twenty to nothing, going into the tenth possession. Right? They've got this, and, and they, they haven't turned the ball over, so they're 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 rocking. And on the last defensive possession, the the second team or the great team or whatever scout team gets two offensive rebounds in that possession. The game is over. They lost. And to me, this the reason we do this is it provides great accountability that every possession counts. So you, no matter what the score is, that tenth possession, we're going to be playing it as if it was the last possession of the game, right? Because if they give up two offensive, if they've already given up one offensive rebound earlier in the in the ten possessions, and even though they're winning, they could be winning eighteen to nothing in that last possession. If they give up an offensive rebound, they lose the game. The game's over. Score is immaterial. We give up two offensive rebounds in 10 possessions. Okay. And then uh, if there's a foul, you know, we'll replay that possession. If there's two fouls in the, in, in the same possession, we'll give them two points. And here we score threes and twos, just like we do in a game. Right. Okay. And, and then we use this chart. Here's our copy of a chart from this past season on November 20th and how, how we uh, charted. So our manager has this chart. And as you see here, the, the Maroon team is the, is the top seven or eight. Okay. So uh, the, the white team is our, our scout team or our, our, the rest of the guys. So here they scored 10 points in 10 possessions. Now, this was early in the season. It's conceivable that I might have had the goal be 10 points. It's never lower than 10 offensively. Early in the season, I might start at 10 points. So it's one point per possession, which is the minimum. All right. But they turned the ball over twice. Okay. And if our goal was 20%, all right, they gave up four offensive rebounds. Guess what? There was a problem. As soon as they got, or no, I'm sorry, those were our, our offensive rebounds. Those are our offensive rebounds. But if they had given up offensive rebounds at any point, and, and, uh, the, the other team didn't get any offensive rebounds. So the final score was 10 to 5. We had two turnovers. They had five. I'm sure this is probably that early in the season. That was probably a win. I gave them the win for that, okay? They won 10 to five. They had two turnovers and 10 possessions, 20%, a little bit higher than we like, okay? But, and we have four offensive rebounds and they had none. So we'll call that a win. We'll shoot some free throws, take a drink of water, and we'll go to the next set of 10 possessions, okay? So now here's the next set of 10 possessions, all right? Maroon now scored 13 points in 10 possessions or 1.30. So if our goal that day was 10 and 10, they met the goal. If, if our goal was 12 and 10, they definitely met the goal as well. They only had one turnover. Here it is on the eighth possession. And they had we only had one offensive rebound, which means we probably made a lot of our first shots here. All right. And then the, the, the scout team, the white team, scored five points in 10 possessions. And they had three turnovers and no offensive rebound. So this registers as a win for our top seven or eight. Now, the, when we when we um, settle the score, if the white team loses, there's never a penalty for the white team. There's only a penalty for the maroon team, the top seven or eight, if they lose the contest. So they could. It's conceivable in the way we scrimmage that we might outscore the white team, which you would expect to be the case, right? These are the top seven or eight varsity players against everybody else, right? 
So it's conceivable that they could outscore the other team and win the game on the scoreboard, so to speak. But they're not going to win it in terms of the accountability that we have for our standard of performance. So you give up two offensive rebounds, the game's over, you lost. If you give up more points than the goal you've lost, or if you don't score as many points as are necessary to meet the goal you've lost. So we, we find that this is a very effective way for us to scrimmage. And it really, again, I've always, you know, as a, as a college coach for many years, Kevin, I visited, you know, dozens of practices and uh, hundreds of practices, not dozens. And, you know, sometimes I would see, uh, you know, coaches scrimmage or best players against their, their scout team or their, and, and, you know, the score would be 32 to two after, you know, five minutes and they're scrimmaging for seven or eight minutes or 10 minutes. Well, there's no accountability the rest of the way, right? So we try to use this system to help us hold our players accountable for every possession regardless of the score. Uh, and, and we see a, a great carryover of this into games. You know, sometimes we'll be winning a game, and even though, you know, we've substituted and we're playing some of the guys who normally don't get to play, the, the top players are on the bench, and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're exhorting our guys on the floor not to give up a, an offensive rebound and, and, and to play you know, the game all the way through to the, to the final buzzer. So, so that, that's how we set up our, our scrimmage situations, and I, I find that to be uh, helpful. In, uh, in getting our point across in terms of our standard of, of performance and our standard of play. Yeah, that's great. I, I'll, now, why in particular, Coach, 10 possessions? Maybe you've already explained it to me. Why? Yeah, no, you know, I, 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 for us, we typically play our games over the 17 years or 16 years I've been in Northridge. Uh, we, our games are typically in the 50 to 60 possession range. Uh, and as much as we like to run, you know, people accuse us of holding the ball. And, and we, we don't have a shot clock in Illinois, but right. I, now I'll, I'll hold the ball, I'll spread the court at the end of the quarter. I'll spread the, the court at the end of the game, right? I mean, I came from college where I coached for 18 or 19 seasons with the shot clock. I love the shot clock. I'm in favor of the shot clock. But when I got back to high school, I, hey, I'm going to use the rules to our advantage. Sure. And, you know, we, we spread the court. If, if, if it's two and a half minutes to go in the game and we're up one and we've got the ball, I'm going to spread the court. You know, we're going to go four corners and we're, we're going we're gonna to try and win that game on the free throw line or, or with layups, you know. And, um, and so for us, 10 possessions seems to be the, the breakdown. Um, if you look over the course of a game, we play about typically 15 possessions a quarter, right? So that's why we scrimmage in sets of five or 10. So, um, you know, 50, it's about a 30 possession half for us, typically. Some games a little bit faster than others. But like, like I said, we run all the time, but I think it's our defense. You know, like a lot of times people say, well, you know, Northridge, they hold the ball. Well, we really don't hold the ball at all, except at the end of the game, we're winning. But because people will probe a lot against our zone, that tends to control the sure. tempo of the game. So, again, 10 possessions. If we want to do a full game, we do six tens. And uh, on a Saturday afternoon, we want to do a simulated game scrimmage. We'll, we'll do six ten possession sets, uh, take a halftime at, at 30. And that's a typical game for us, you know. Uh, sometimes in the middle of the week, I might, uh, in, the, in season, I might scrimmage 30 possessions, so about a half a game, you know, or 20 possessions, which is a little bit more than a quarter. So, uh, 
again, I just, I, I, I do it by possessions. So I just find that it's easier way for me to, to gauge. How much now, I'm, I'm really going to study that coach. I love that. Cause I don't do it by possession. Um, uh, I don't, um, we do by, by clock. And I put my, my best, my best team at a tremendous disadvantage. They're down 10 with a minute. Yeah, to go. Um, we do a lot of that. Um, I love the possessions though. I love that. Yeah. Let, let, let me, uh, let me add this. Sometimes we've done this not often, but if we want to really make a point to our top players, we'll say, okay, you're going to scrimmage 10 possessions. You have to score 12 points, but if the white team hits the rim with a shot, <laughs> the game is over. I love it. Yeah. Absolutely. So you want to talk about playing defense, you know, and, and again, you can't foul twice in the possessions or, or, you know, they're, they're going to get a point. The game's over. So, I mean, th th that's the way that we try and really put the squeeze on them. We might just do it for five possessions. So we say it's, it, it's, uh, you have to score five possessions. You have to score five points or if they hit the rim, the game's over. So they can't get a shot. They can get a shot, but they better not hit the rim. You know, so you better make sure you can test that shot and, uh, or, or don't let them get the shot, you know. So emphasis, I, I, I think this is underrated, Coach. I think emphasis is much better than a, really a great drill. It's like no doubt. Guys, I mean, I, think, I, mean um, I know a lot of great coaches utilize that, but, man, that competitive side, that emphasis on, like you said, those kids are going to play hard for that. Right. And that's yeah. it. I mean, that, you know, when you put the emphasis, I, I tell our guys, uh, you know, especially as a, as a zone defensive team, and you know, I think there's a misnomer. People think we're a zone team and we're, we're just laying back and we actually pressure a lot out of our zone and what have you. But, you know, I, I always tell our players when we go through a scouting report, you know, about say number 10 for the other team and number 20, they're their best three point shooters. And I always tell our players, listen, it's our job to make them miss. You know, the, you know, the, I don't don't come over during the timeout and tell me, hey, number ten's a really good shooter. No kidding, we knew that in the scout report meeting earlier in the day or earlier in the week. You know, it's our job to not let their best shooters get shots, and it's our job as defensive players not to let their best shooters make their shots. If they get them, it's our job to make a miss. In other words, we better be contesting. We better be close enough on the catch, or if he's going to shoot that basketball it's not going to be a clean look at the basket. So uh, we're able to do that in, in, in this possession situation is again, holding them accountable to every, every, every defensive possession for 10 possessions or five and making sure that if the ball, um, if the guy gets an open shot, you know, it better, it better be contested. It better not be open. It better be contested. It's our job to make a miss. Yeah, coach. I love that, man. I'm stealing a lot of your stuff here. That's great. Well, I knew I would. I'm just, passing, I'm just passing on what other people have been so generous to give me. Absolutely. Coach, um, kind of continue on, um, continue on, on um, how do you, how do you break down your, I know you mentioned your, your daily bread here, but how much do you break down shooting within your practice? Cause I think I, I know as a coach, like how much shooting am I getting in? Is that overrated? No. Not at all. We, you know, we believe shooting is it's important. In, in our first segment of practice, we're working on, on, on uh, individual fundamentals and skills. We'll shoot for at least you know, a minimum of 15 minutes, but really more because everything that we do, just not everything, but most of the things that we do have 
have shooting in it, right? So a lot of the full court drills have layups and three pointers or whatever. Um, and then we do a, a four minute shooting drill that we've done every single practice over 16 years. And we do it at, at both ends of the court. We do four minutes on one end, four minutes on the other end, and we chart uh, every shot that's taken and, and we keep track of that. In fact, I actually have a, I don't think I have it here with this. Uh, yeah, no, I don't have it here, but I actually have a, a sheet and if anybody's interested in it, they can send sure. me an email. And, uh, and we record how our players shoot and they have a, a team goal. They have to make 65 threes in four minutes. Okay. And then, uh, and then we keep track of their individual shooting line for the year. So they'll be able to go to the wall where we post it. And they'll see yesterday I made whatever out of whatever, you know, whatever. Uh, I made 11 out of 13 threes and I'm, I'm shooting, you know, 48% for this, for the season in this drill. So we chart this and we do this every day. Summer, if we, it's, if it's a summer practice, we'll do it. If it's a, um, if it's an in-season practice, we'll definitely do it. Um, and, and, and that's an important thing. And then we'll, we'll do, uh, you know, a host of other shooting drills. You know, I, I think we'll shoot anywhere from 15 minutes to sometimes 20. I mean, it's hard to say because we do a lot of combination skill work where you're shooting as well as passing and footwork and other things involved. Yeah, that's great, Coach. And I, hey, do you, let, before, you, before you go on is I do only contested shooting in my practices. I think I'm a little different than other coaches. Matter of fact, every shooting drill we do is under a high hand contest because I value the contests and I think players uh, uh, can handle the pressure more under shooting. Our shooting is very good. And I don't know, I, I know my kids can kind of go practice on their own, but we always practice under contest. That's a great point. I, you know, we, we do some of that, uh, but not all. We do some shooting where there's no contest. It's an interesting point, something I have to think about. You know, one of the things that, that we do, Kevin, with shootings, we like to do it early in practice too. Right. And, I, and I, I, you know, there's always that debate, right, about uh, shooting when you're tired versus not tired. And you know, I, I don't know where I heard this, but I heard a coach once say that um, he wants to shoot early in practice before the players get tired because he believes that shooting is all about confidence. Right. And he believes that players, if they're making their shots, are going to believe they're better shooters than they are otherwise. So this player, this coach, you know, mentioned that he did all his shooting right away at the beginning of practice, and and we do some of that ourselves. We have, we have a, a shooting ritual that we that we work on our form shooting and so on, yeah. and we do that usually right after we stretch. And um, so you know, we do some shooting with 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 pressure, but a lot of the shooting is not. And that's a good thought, though. Something I should consider. <laughs> Coach, thank you so much. Uh, any final words for us coaches? Because you gave us some great information. I know I'm going to already take a bunch of your drills and so forth and apply them uh, immediately. Uh, any any final words uh, before well, you? I mean, uh, not. I mean, obviously, here's my contact information again. If anybody wants to reach out, I'd be delighted to to explain or share anything that we have, and certainly always open to anybody else's good ideas. I want to send those along as well. Um, you know, just, you know, I, I just want to remind coaches that we're in maybe one of the greatest professions um, in the, you know, one of the greatest professions of all because we have an, an opportunity to impact generations, right? And uh, 
you know, that's what makes coaching such a great, you know, a, a great thing is that, uh, you know, we're impacting this group of players, but, you know, those players are someday going to be husbands or fathers or, uh, you know, uh, wives or, 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 or mothers, if they're coaching the girls, uh, they're going to be coaches themselves or, or teachers or whatever. And so there's always a ripple effect in coaching. You never just uh, impact those that are immediately with you, but you're impacting potentially generations of individuals down the road. And I think it's important that we keep that in mind as coaches. And it's the greatest profession in the world for that reason is that we have an opportunity to, to, to work with young people. They keep us young and they keep, they keep it interesting. And, uh, and we have an opportunity to really sow into their lives and, and make a, an impact and be an extension of what their parents do. Right. I mean, right. you know, parents today have a tough job, you know, raising, raising children in a different environment than certainly we were raised, right? With technology and all the things that are, are there today. And so as educators and coaches and teachers, we have an opportunity to be an extension of what the parents are doing at home. And hopefully we are able to give them back to the parents, maybe even a little bit better than we got them from them because we've been an extension of what they're doing at home. So that's the way I look at it and the way I hope that I can that I can do uh, an effective job in working with the young people that are under my supervision. Yeah, Coach, and I, I appreciate you've been impactful in my coaching life. Uh, I know I got all your videos, your one three one, your two three. I love the classic spots video. I, I, I mean, we don't run the spots offense anymore, but I'm telling you, man, what a great video. I still have all that, and I appreciate you helping oh, me. Thank you. Thank you. Well, and uh, listen, I, I'm, I'm, I've learned a lot watching your, listening to your podcast and, and any coach that's out there, if, if they're not tuning into your podcast and watching the videos that you've, uh, you've got a coach to, they're missing a great opportunity to really grow professionally. And I, I, I have listened to all of your podcasts because you got, you got what, a couple hundred of them now? I, I know. That's crazy. I, I, I've listened to a lot of them and, and, uh, and, and you've got some, some great information there, and coaches will be smart to take advantage of that. I'll mention uh, to my uh, CEO, uh, Otho Tucker, that uh, I – yeah. Yeah, yeah. legend. I remember, I remember Otho when he played in Illinois. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He, he actually listened to the video with you, and, uh, and uh, he, he, definitely know, uh, he definitely knows you, man. So uh, he's still going, man. He's still working out, still in good shape. Is that right? Yeah, he was at our basketball game tonight, matter of fact. So I should have told him that I was going to be talking to you. How about that? That's great. Yeah, yeah please don't tell him I said hello. I will. I will. Coach, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for taking the time out and uh, helping us out. My pleasure, Kevin. And uh, have a great season. And I hope we get our season here. We're still waiting to hear what our state's going to decide. So I'm glad to see Georgia. Georgia's full steam ahead. You guys. Uh, you guys are just a little bit ahead of the game here, so that's good. I know. Come on, Illinois, man. You guys got to step up, man. Let's play ball. Right, uh, ready. Right. See you, Coach. Thanks. Thank you. Uh -huh. All right. This is Mike May, creator and owner of Practice Planner Live Software. I'm excited about partnering with Kevin Furtado and Championship Vision Podcasts. We share a common passion of helping basketball coaches be more effective in their profession. With over 26 years of basketball coaching experience, I created Practice Planner Live with the purpose of saving coaches valuable time 
in creating efficient and effective practice plans. John Wooden once said, if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. Practice Planner Live can take your practice planning to a whole nother level with tools and functionality that will maximize your team's ability to reach their potential.